Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Today we'll be study number one of Revelation chapter three. And we're going to be reading verse one. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast the name, that thou livest and art dead. And uh, we're continuing to look at uh, God's addresses to the seven churches. And this uh, church in Sardis is number five. Uh, there will be two more churches that the Lord will speak to after this. And let's just remind ourselves as, um, you know, the, these chapters, Revelation 2 and 3, are very helpful, actually, in, in giving us instruction that we are to be brought constantly in remembrance of the Word of God. And I, I say that because uh, God is reiterating again and again certain um, statements in these two chapters. He he begins each address to each of the churches unto the angel of the church in, in Sardis in this case. And uh, he concludes each address by saying, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And, and that means seven times we have opportunity to read this same statement. And also... Uh, here in verse 1, where it says, I know thy works. Well, God says the exact same thing to each of the seven churches. Back in Revelation 2.19, to the church in Thyatira, I know thy works. Over uh, in uh, verse 8 of, of Revelation 3, to the church in Philadelphia, I know thy works. And and also to Laodicea in verse 15, I know thy works. God says that seven times. And the tendency is to say, well, we read this already. Let's just move on. And yet everything in the Bible has reason and purpose and and uh, excellent reason uh, and an excellent purpose because God has written it. Why is it that God has sometimes duplicated uh, psalms or duplicated whole passages in the Bible? Uh, because he, he wants us to go over it again and to consider what he has written. You know, it says in Second Peter something that's really helpful when it comes to Bible study for us to to have this uh, in our minds. And and that is in 2 Peter chapter 1, um, in verse 12, I'll start reading there. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, 
I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. These verses are helpful, especially as God uh, made that statement. I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them. And that is is something that we might take for granted. Well, I know that truth. I understand. Uh, uh, I understand that doctrine. I understand what you're saying. Let, let's go on to something I don't understand. We we quickly want to um, skim the surface of things we we have learned and and get to something we haven't learned. Well, that's that's dangerous because we're quick forgetters even though we think we know something and and if we continually think that to ourselves every time it comes up well i know that let me go on to something else well it won't be long before we forget whatever that information is or or we don't know it in any real uh meaningful way in any deep and meaningful way and so god has written the bible this is true of the whole Bible, not just Revelation 2 and 3 or uh, or um, Peter, but the whole Bible is written in such a way where God makes a point and then he'll uh, emphasize that same point a little later and then he'll reemphasize it, drilling it home, reminding us again and again that that's basically what the the hidden truths of the gospel are. They're they're all the same gospel. You know, um, God just made it much more interesting for us to learn very similar things. For instance, He could just use the name Jesus everywhere. That uh, Jesus is this, and and Jesus is that. And, uh, well, of course, we never get tired of hearing the name Jesus, but, but when it comes to reading something, we appreciate variety. And so God has wisely spoken of Christ as a rock or spoken of Christ in, in just hundreds of different ways in the Bible. Uh, Christ is typified and pictured by men like David and Joseph and, and Joshua, and he's pictured uh, by various things in the Bible. And as we, we read about the rock or we read about something in David's life, we're reading about Christ. And, and really, God is just bringing a truth to our remembrance, though we know it. And now, though we, we learned it, uh, in a little bit more interesting way, as he hid that same truth that, that he has plainly stated maybe in another place or more directly stated. And and so it it is good for us to read something again and again. And and actually as we do, we'll probably find although we thought we knew everything there was to know about something that we'll learn a little bit more. Well, in Revelation 3 verse 1 unto the angel of the church in Sardis write. And again, God is addressing it unto the angel or the messenger of the church because it's addressed to the elect, and the elect are the messengers of God. 
that are to bring this message to the church. It, it's what God says in each one of these addresses has application to all the churches throughout the church age. And here specifically, he's writing to Sardis, uh, using Sardis as a means of really speaking to the entire corporate church body. And the name Sardis is really um, not very helpful. I, I haven't been able to find any any meaning to that name, as uh, many times in the Bible, names have meaning. Well, the meaning to this name seems to be unknown. The name Sardis isn't used anywhere except here in Revelation, uh, back in Revelation 1, where God spoke of the seven churches in Asia, and, and now he's mentioning the church at Sardis. Well, uh, let, let's uh, go on to the next statement. These things saith he that has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And that would be the Lord Jesus. We know that he has the seven stars based upon what we read in Revelation 1 in verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Well, that that means we we have a definition for the seven stars. These things saith he that has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. The seven stars are the angels or messengers of the seven churches, which in turn... Uh, is a figure of speech to point to the elect, the true believers. And they are in the right hand of Christ because the right hand uh, identifies with Jesus and with God's salvation. And uh, yet here God speaks also of seven spirits, the seven spirits of God. And what does that mean? Well, uh, the Lord did mention the seven spirits also in Revelation 1, verse 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. So there the seven spirits were mentioned. Uh, we, we find a reference to seven spirits in chapter 4 of Revelation in verse 5. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, the seven lamps, we find information about them back in the Old Testament book of Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 4, it says in verse 1, And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep and said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked and behold a candlestick all of gold with a bowl upon the top of it and his seven lamps thereon and seven pipes to the seven lamps which are upon the top thereof. So the seven lamps identify with the candlestick, and that 
we we found mention also in Revelation chapter 1, as it said in verse 13, and then in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. And then again in verse 20, the seven candlesticks were explained. When God said the seven stars are the angels or messengers of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. And Christ was in the midst of the candlesticks. He was in the midst of the churches. And and the lamps would be lit. It would point to the light of the gospel or the light of Christ, really, in the midst of the churches and congregations as they were used of God. They were... Um, God's representatives to the world. They were representing his kingdom and they did have the light of Christ throughout their period of, of use for the 1955 years of the church age. And, and so the seven spirits of God relate to the seven lamps, which in turn relate to the seven candlesticks and the light of the gospel. And, of course, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, uh, is is also in view by this language of the seven spirits of God. No, there, there are not seven Holy Spirits, uh, just as there are not three gods, but only one God. Yet, God is using the number seven to point to the perfection of His Spirit, as it operated in the midst of the churches and congregations, somehow in that mysterious way that we don't fully understand how it could be that a church um, in England uh, and a church in Germany and a church uh, in America during the church age could preach uh, from the word of God, the Bible, and the uh, individual uh, members of the congregation could sit there listening to the preaching of these men, or maybe even out in the field somewhere. Say, if someone like George Whitfield came by, who was a field preacher, and and hundreds or thousands gathered, and God's Spirit could bless the preaching of the Word of God or the declaration of the Word of God to the ears of the listeners within the churches and congregations and could spark salvation. He could create a new heart in a soul of a sinner that heard the gospel through the efforts of the church because God was using the churches at that time and that's where the people of God were to go. That's where they were to be found in the churches, in order to experience blessing, in order, hopefully, that their families might be blessed, God's people attended church and did so for century after century. But as we know, it was God's plan at the time of the end to take his spirit out of the midst of the church to remove Christ from the congregations and therefore the light of these candlesticks, the light of the lamp went out and and then suddenly the preaching in all these churches all over the earth 
although they could have even taken a sermon that that was preached a few hundred years prior and and maybe in that particular message god did actually bless the preaching to say a hundred people and they did become saved well the church uh, that exists at the end once god has abandoned it and left it could take that very sermon and read it word for word and there would be no blessing it it no longer was a matter of the faithfulness of the preacher or what they were saying it was a matter of lacking the holy spirit to bless the message this is how by the way we can say absolutely that 100% of the churches in the world are dead, that God has left them, that all churches, no matter the denomination, no matter their doctrinal stance, no matter what they teach about election, irregardless of what they believe on any point of doctrine, that all churches are under the wrath of God are experiencing judgment and that no salvation is taking place in any church in any land in the entire world because God's Spirit has removed himself and it instantly, immediately became an impossibility for anyone to become saved apart from the Spirit of God working to bless the hearing of that word. As as the Bible says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But the Bible also says at the time of the judgment on the churches, the great tribulation, there will be a famine of hearing, not a famine of bread and of water, but a famine of hearing the word of God, because the Holy Spirit is not there to open up the ears of the listeners. And, and this results in no more salvation in the churches and congregations. Well, these things that says in Revelation 3, 1, saith, He that has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, pointing to the perfection of God's spirit and the perfection of his elect that that are saved by his spirit. And it goes on to say, I know thy works, that thou hast the name that thou livest and art dead. And, and God, again, is referring to the works of the Christians within the churches and congregations throughout the period of the church age. And he knows these works because he is the one that has ordained them to walk in them. He is the one that moves in the life of any individual to will and do of his good pleasure. And and God's people do perform good works. Not that good works save us. That's a different matter. That anyone who thinks that doing um, or keeping some law of God, following some commandment, will get them right with God, well, they're they're not saved. They they don't know anything about the grace of God. They're uh, thinking they're saved based on a works gospel. And and there is no salvation in that. No man is justified by the works of the law. The true believer understands this. But what God has done is place his spirit 
in the child of God, and that spirit now desires to do the will of God. Well, what is the will of God? Where is it found? In the Bible. When God gives his commandments, he is expressing his will. And so the true believer wants to do the will of God. God says, husbands, love your wife, or wives, submit to your husbands. And the true believer wants to do this. And children, obey your parents. Well, the true believing child wants to do this. Uh, Honor your parents. God's people want to do this. Observe Sunday as his Sabbath day. The true believer wants to do this. And do not lie. Do not steal. And, and so forth. The true believer desires to do these things because he has the spirit of Christ within. And this is the way of God. This is the will of God. And, and now the child of God can obey more and more as the Spirit of God is within him, and he can do things that he could never do before, and and he will perform good works. Now, one good work that was evident in the churches was the act of obedience, as really the definition of a work is simply to um, take action towards a commandment of God and and the Lord Jesus commanded go ye into all the world and teach all nations and preach the gospel and so forth and the churches to to a degree sometimes a high degree did perform this good work and they carried the Bible and the Bible's message to many nations and established churches all around the world and and so God can say, I know your works, as he says to each of these seven churches in Asia. I know your works. He's the one responsible if they're good works. He, he's the one who moved in them to, to do these things. So he certainly knows them. And God recognizes them as works that were right to perform. And he goes on to say, Though I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. Now, now uh, the Lord has quickly moved into a phase where he, he is finding fault with those in the church at Sardis. They have a name that they live and art dead. What does God mean by this, to have a name that they live? Well, we read in Isaiah chapter 4 about those that desired to be called by the name of God. It says in Isaiah 4 verse 1, And in that day seven women shall take hold of one man. Now that's interesting. Seven women, as women can picture the bride of Christ, and and we find in Revelation 2 and 3, seven churches, and the church would be cast in the feminine role. Here it says, In that day seven women shall take hold of one man, and this one man would refer to Christ, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Now, again, bread has to do with the gospel and apparel, is covering 
um, and it would point to the covering of righteousness as we all should be eating the bread that is Christ and and be clothed with his righteousness. But they don't want his bread. They don't want his covering or or the uh, Bible's way of salvation. As God says, look, I will save. I'll do all the work. No man is justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Christ is how you get justified. Well, they don't want that. These seven women, they they take hold of one man, the Lord Jesus, but they want their own kind of bread and their own apparel. They they want to put together fig leaves as Adam and Eve and and through their own effort cover their spiritual nakedness and cover over their sins. And then it goes on to say here, only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. They don't want the gospel of Christ. They don't want the covering of Christ's righteousness. They only want the name of Christ. Let us have your name because, well, the name of Christ uh, has great significance to them. They realize that it is in this name that many believe there is there is salvation. And so they want the name of Christ, but nothing else, basically. And and that's sort of what God is picking up on here in Revelation 3, 1. Thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Well, if you have the name of Christ, Christian, you do have a name that you liveth. As it says in John 20 and verse 31, John 20, 31, But these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. There, There is the name that they live through the name of Christ. Um, it is assumed by the masses in the churches. Well, if I take the name of Christ, if I accept him, or if I'm baptized with water, or if I just simply go to church, whatever the church may be, and if I call myself a Christian, then I will live because they they understand the Bible speaks of God being pleased through the sacrifice of Christ and no other. Remember, it says in the book of Acts, there is one name given amongst men whereby we must be saved. And, and he is the only way, the truth and the life. There, there is no entry, no portal to take us into God's kingdom of heaven apart from Christ. Many are aware of this. So give us that name that we might live. And and this has been the case all through the Christian church's history. It has been um, packed with individuals. Many were called, but only few chosen, that took the name of Christ and they assumed and they declared, matter-of-factly in some cases, that I live. I live, I'm right with God, I have salvation because I have the name. Although 
their lives often didn't match up with the name that they took. And in in all cases uh, of unsaved individuals who profess to be Christian, their heart did not match up with the name that they took to themselves. They said they were Christian, but God isn't fooled by what people say. He looks on the heart as all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And and here God is looking at the church in Sardis as a representation of many in the churches down through the centuries and especially now at the end where the church world, the Christian church, numbers almost two billion and God sees that they have a name that they live and yet are dead in sin.